Hello, and welcome to the Aseret Podcast, where we learn about character, kindness, wisdom, and values from living examples of inspiring people. As Jews, we are known as the people of the book, the Torah. Torah has many parts and pieces that guide our lives. And yet, what is it all about? What unifies those pieces together? One answer that shines brightly comes from Rebbe Akiva of the first century. In the book of Leviticus, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. I am Hashem. Rebbe Akiva calls this the Klal Gadol Torah, a great principle of Torah. The essence of our Torah guides us to try and love Hashem and others. And these paths cannot be separated. In the 20th century, there emerged a giant of Torah and Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, who stressed this point and carved a pathway for it. His name was Rabbi Huda Ashlag Zetzal, otherwise known as the Balasulam, the master of the latter. Today, Kabbalah, in its popular forms, stems from this holy man and his wisdom. The path of Ashlagian Kabbalah is the path of bringing Rabbi Akiva's words to life in every moment of the Torah path. It involves moving from Meiratzon Lekabel, Meiratzon Lehashbia, from the desire to receive to the desire to give. Rav Ashlag passed his Masora, his tradition, to his son, Rav Baruch Ashlag Zetzal, who passed it to Rabbi Abraham Mordechai Gottlieb Shlita, who is currently passing it on to our very own guest today, Rav Adam Yitzchak Polanovsky. Rav Adam has been learning the inner dimensions of the Torah full-time for three years in Telstone, Israel, with the Rebbe. From growing up in the suburbs, selling laptops at Best Buy, rapping in the underground, meeting hip-hop legends and executive producers and the like, he's thrilled to see where life has taken him and how the deep tools he's learned along with his life experience is actualizing today through teaching, serving, and having a coaching practice. Rabadim reflects with us on the ninth debate of not bearing false witness to our neighbor. Instead, how do we be a true witness of love and giving? On the way, you will hear his fascinating story about his journey to truth and learn about this inner Torah, which transforms us from takers to givers. Reb Adam Yitzchak, thank you so much for coming to speak to us and reflect on the Asera Sadibros. Shalom, shalom, Reb Noach. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. We are going to be talking about Lo Sa'ane Vere'acha Eid Shakir, otherwise known as the Ninth Deber or the Ninth Commandment. And uh, I like to start these interviews out by just having you reflect on that Deber and what immediately comes to mind for you. What immediately comes to mind is the connection between Ben Adam Lechavero and that it has to do with a friend. And to the inner dimension of the Torah, we understand that we are all one. So speaking falsehood to the friend is akin to speaking falsehood to oneself and even more so speaking falsehood to the creator. And that it's all one and it's no different if someone is in the midst of not being aligned with truth, doesn't matter what the context is, in this case we have between friend and friend, that he's always in front of his creator and is therefore not in line with the creator's ultimate aspect of truth. What comes to mind as well is that Hashem gave us a clarity and that at least according to the Bala Sulam, who we'll speak more about in the near future, I'm sure, Clarify that Ben Lechavero is more important than Ben Lamako. Between friend and friend is more important than between man and God. The reason is, it's under the impression that the individual themselves has a soul, which is a chelok elokaimimal, a chip off the old block per se. So it's a two-in-one. When someone is interacting with a person, they both have the opportunity to do good with them, as well as serve Hashem and do proper as opposed to directly to Hashem, which has no feedback. Whereas you can get feedback from a friend, you can gauge where you're holding and what the response is. So in regards to our inner work and us trying to be better people and refine ourselves, so Hashem prefers us to put an emphasis on Beit Lachavero due to this feedback, due to the practicality of building ourselves by means of interactions with others. Yeah, there is an immediate feedback loop, which is powerful if we can hear it, if we can, and that's part of Haftalarecha Kamocha, right around the time of we of learning in the Torah of Haftalarecha Kamocha, we're, we're given um, the mitzvah of Tochecha, and which is rebuke. And, you know, it's a very unattractive word, but what it really means is being truthfully honest in a, in a loving, supportive way to help the other um, on their journey 
Uh, and you have an obligation almost to, to do that because we're not supposed to hate the our brother, our re'echa in our hearts. So, or achicha, I think the word is. So there's there's this interconnectedness, even before we get to Pnimis, which we're going to get to. I think sure. these two worlds are entirely intertwined. We see in the ninth Deber, it seems that you shouldn't, you know, um, bear fall witness, that word ta'aneh, bear fall witness uh, to, to your neighbor uh, f- falsely. It's it's a witness. There's a word aid there. But you see it in other parts. We see, for example, in Vayikra, it says, don't insult the deaf person and don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. So these are interpersonal mitzvot that it ends with, fear God, um, fear God, I am God. So amidst these these interpersonal mitzvahs there is a a d- divine dimension and it's it's powerful that you that you said that it's it's affecting two dimensions it's your relationship with god and your relationship with a person at the exact same time exactly right so that's sort of an introduction a little bit that's what comes to mind for you tell us a little bit about yourself what you're up to and uh, and how it all fits in here my name is adam Yitzchak polanowski I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, particularly Wheeling. My parents are from the former USSR, and they did not grow up with much due to that fact, as far as their Judaism was concerned. So we grew up in a, what I like to call less than reform home, in that we had no connection to any congregation or any community, but we kept what we could. Holidays here and there, an example would be, we would light three, four candles on Hanukkah and say, that's enough. There would be a fish head on the table, Rosh Hashanah, but there was an explanation as to why. But my parents instilled within me a very strong sense of Jewish pride because they suffered for being Jewish a lot. Just for being Jewish, not for practicing or anything, just for being Jewish in the USSR. So that was instilled within me. Now, I grew up very skeptical of religion and was very interested in philosophy and would often have hours of long conversation with my father regarding such topics. So a quick story just to, as, as a preface for my background, when I was around 12 and a half, my father asked me how my preparation for my bar mitzvah was going. And at the time I had learned just a little bit with my grandmother, the olive base, the Hebrew alphabet. And I told him, you know, it's going okay but I don't want a bar mitzvah. I'm not Jewish. There is no God. And in his great wisdom, he responds to me, wow, good for you. He told me the fact that you're asking questions and have come to such a conclusion means you're Jewish because you're asking questions and you're seeking truth. So don't forget to never stop asking questions. Understand that you're coming from a background. My mother, your grandmother, Holocaust survivor. Even Einstein at some point claims to be an atheist Jew. He at least understood what his culture was. So don't just throw that in the garbage, but believe what you want. Keep asking questions. And then he said, mark my words, you will come full circle. And considering I'm bringing this up now in this conversation with you, it was quite impressionable and it was amazing to see those words come into fruition. But I heeded his call. I never stopped asking questions. But I had that atheist face for a couple of years and then went into a truth seekers club in my school, Stevenson High School. Uh, Interestingly, the head of the organization was a former youth pastor. And he very much tried to instill the notions of monotheism to the skeptics in in the club, like myself. And it actually helped me. It brought me to a recognition that maybe there's something, and therefore there's this uh, agnostic philosophy. And then eventually I came to a theistic worldview and then went down like a very new age spiritual path around 18 years old for many years until I came to Israel to learn in yeshiva. Energies, chakras, yoga, crystals, you name it. I was all into that. But as a preface... As well, I think it's an important note to, to clarify how I've come to where I am today. Is that my father had been and still is learning through an organization where they teach Ashlag Torah, albeit 
through a different lens and not as halakhically inclined. But being his involvement in such an organization, there were also books in the home, translations. Even as a skeptic teenager, I was picking up and reading them. I was reading the works of the Bala Sulam and Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag, his son, as an atheist and agnostic teenager, just out of curiosity to heed his call of never stopping to ask questions. So in the midst of my new age journey, after being put through, thankfully, a lot of challenges and cognitive dissonance regarding the lifestyle I was living and the Torah that I was learning through the Ashlag rabbis, as I continued to learn more and more with the pain that I was experiencing in life, trying to find meaning, and the, the truth of the, of the essays I was reading was so powerful. It really touched me. And I couldn't help but ask myself, if I desire to reach the spiritual levels of these masters, how could it be that I'm learning their works, but not also doing what they did, being keeping Torah and the mitzvot? So from that recognition, which I had recognized for years, but never experienced enough pain to really push me past the fence, I finally cried out. I cried out for weeks, hours a day, and really asked Hashem to open the gates for me. I said, I know this is your truth. I want to live a life of deeper meaning and Torah mitzvot. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I am so taken aback by all the options and all the communities out there. Show me the way. And within a week, a Chabad rabbi reached out to me and asked me to perform at his Chabad house. Uh, I'm actually a rapper. <laughs> I did a lot of underground rap in my time. And you still Yeshiva. are. And you still are. I still, I still are. I, I still am. I, I continue rapping in my yeshiva days. I rapped at every holiday and every social event. It's a lot of fun. So he said, I heard you're a rising star here in Chicago suburbs. I'd like you to perform here. And I performed, and, and, he, and, he, and he could hear the Kabbalistic allusions in my lyrics. And he's like, what is going on here? So he invited me to come learn with him. He wants to learn Tanya with me. But for whatever reason, I didn't catch a vibe. I just, I just didn't feel so drawn towards uh, going there. Shortly after, a rabbi sent me a cookie-cutter Kiruv message on Facebook Messenger. With a little bit of change, like, oh, I see you're into hip-hop, that's so cool, tell me more, I'm new in town. And as soon as I read it, the gates of tears were open. I don't know exactly why, other than Hashem inspiring my heart, but I was crying furiously for 30 minutes. I just felt intuitively that this rabbi who literally just sent me a cookie-cutter message, I knew it was a cookie-cutter message, this was the answer, that this was going to lead me to whatever path I was to take. So I met with him, totally saying, I'm ready, let's learn whatever you have for me in an organization. Any program, let's do it. So we learned Der Hashem from the Ramchal once a week, the the way of God. I think with how you translate the book. Once a week for a couple of weeks. And then he offered me some program called Rage, which is like a graduated birthright for people of Russian background. I signed up for it on the spot. And then he said, Wow, you seem re really uh, eager. Maybe this is actually a better option for you. And he sends me a link to a J101 program in Or Sameach. He said, you can be a guinea pig. They're just starting this out. You'll get paid $400 a month to be there for 10 months. Internship, Ulpan, learning Hebrew, as well as Jewish studies, learning self-development. So it was clearly an answer to my prayers. I told my father about it. And as soon as he heard, he said, go and do not look back. You've been lost here your whole life. You don't know where you've been going. Obviously, that's the place for you. You need to be in Israel. You need to stay there, live there, grow there, start a family, enjoy. So I dropped everything I attended notice. Thankfully, I didn't have so much weighing me down. I had a job. I was living with my brother at the time. No major payments, no nothing. Just kind of quit my job and went for it. And then I came to Yeshiva in September 2018. Was there for a year and then came to visit for a month in Chicago and then came back and I've been here since. Got married a little bit over two years ago. The community that I'm in is the Ashlag Hasidus. It is the same Torah that I had been exposed to throughout my upbringing. And in yeshiva, learning primarily the 
Okay. I'm going to pause for a moment there because I, before we jump into the open the open the gates as the introduction sure. to the Ashlagian Tikha uh, on the Kabbalah, um, before we get there, something very important in your story um, is that there's all these remnants, there's all these clues in your life that to me make total sense that you are where you are about to share with us. Because first of all, the story of Russian Jewry is very, very, very sad. Um, in a very, very short time, people that don't know fully, in a very, very, very short time, within a number, not even a generation, uh, religion was basically outlawed uh, on a very serious level. And people that had been practicing more or less for a very long time, I'm not even sure if the Enlightenment, the Haskalah, even hit Russia in the same way. I'm not, I'm not actually sure. But basically, people were observant Jews for thousands of years, hundreds of years, don't know the exact number. Uh, in a very short time, that was changed. The fact that your family actually kept remnants and shards of a story prior that is in your DNA, is in your literal DNA, these people live, live inside of you and your spiritual DNA, that's not a small feat. There are people that don't even have any shards. You had these right. little shards, and it's beautiful that they had that sense of, we got to do something. We have to preserve a remnant of something here. We know it's special. We don't even know why, really. That part of it is powerful. And then the fact that out of all things that your dad could be into is Kabbalah of the Ashlag. I mean, for, for those who don't know, we're going to get into this because the whole world that learns Kabbalah in the more popular new age sense, more or less that's coming from, there are other streams, but more or less that's coming from this Rav, the Balasulam, Rav Yehuda Ashlag, I believe his name. And... Yes. Um, it's spread throughout the world. That's what Madonna's been into. All these people that you hear about in popular Kabbalah. And it's maybe even more popular in the world at large than in the Jewish community. So just to give everybody a context, uh, it's just very powerful that uh, that there was a connection there with Rav Ashlag as well. And I just want to leave it at that before you jump in. Sure. Great. Thank you for that. It's a very special thing for me to consider and also to reflect and meditate on all those shards and fragments and how they've come full circle today. I, there are no words to, to give thanks to Hashem for, for where I am. And I'm very thankful for my parents for giving me what they could and, and for their parents for giving them what they could, despite literally against the law for doing what they did and, and hiding their, their jewelry. So Ashlag. Yes. I think as a preface to me coming to the community, it's a, it's a great story to say that I was on birthright when I was 21, now coming on seven years ago. And one of the wonderful people I met on Birthright was a certain Avraham Lowenthal of Tzfat. He's a mystical art studio in Tzfat. I had heard that we were going to some Kabbalah artists. I was very excited given my background and learning, even at that time. And I made it a point to sit front and center when we got to the studio. And I went there with an open mind and open heart and also had a deep experience. It was nothing particularly rational other than Shem just illuminating my heart. He was just speaking about his story very simply, where he's from, how he got there. Also getting interested in the inner dimensions of the Torah and his time in college and reading Jewish meditation by Ari Kaplan and more and more things of that nature. And I was also just crying very strongly, nonstop for the whole 15 minutes that he was speaking. And to, to fast forward, after a year of being yeshiva, one, one day on my lunch break, I go on YouTube and I look up Bal Hasulam in English, just out of the blue. And the first thing I see is his face. I see Avraham Lomantel's face, who was doing an interview for a Kabbalah Me documentary. And he had many short uh, conversations in this interview regarding Kabbalah and Rav Ashlag. And suddenly it made sense to me, for whatever reason, why I had had such a deep experience that I was somehow some way full circle to discover that he actually was learning Ashlag and was very familiar with Rav Ashlag and his Torah, and therefore reached out to him and came there for Shabbos a couple of times. And he told me about the community here in Telstum, Kiryat Yarim, in Israel, and that there was very much a community, and I had no idea there was. I thought I would just have to be come some mainstream guy that learned some stuff on the side, best as I can. So me and him also started learning early in the morning. 
that time it was maybe 5 a.m. on Skype. It's very early uh, for what you're going to tell us later. <laughs> it was also early for me being a yeshiva buffer. I mean, I was getting up 6.30, 6.45 anyway, so it wasn't so bad, but it was still a shift. And it was, it was a wonderful time learning with him, being Chavrusas, learning partners. And he told me, again, about the community. And I came on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, first day of the month, special holy time in the Jewish calendar for every beginning of the month. And it was this huge meal. Too, right? My birthday is Erev Rosh Chodesh Shvat. So the day of my birthday, I happened to get there, yes. But uh, Jew- Jewish day-wise, it was already not my birthday. <laughs> but that time, that month, the beginning of that month is a special time for you. Yes, very special. So I listened without understanding anything, but you know, could feel the holiness of Rabbi Gottlieb, like referred to as the Rebbe Shita. I referred to him as the Rebbe, listening to his words as he spoke at this big feast. And I made it a very strong point to speak to him afterwards, because I'd heard from Avraham that he was going anywhere and everywhere for those who are ready to learn. And I wanted to do my part to try to gather people so that he could come to Jerusalem, ideally my yeshiva, and teach us. So I met with him afterwards and told him my desire and what I'd heard from Abraham and that I'd been learning with him for some time. And in his humility, he said, I'm not sure about my English. And I said, let's let's try it. So I gathered some guys and we started learning every Arab Shabbos, every Friday. In the late morning, early afternoon, he would come from Kiryat Yarim and teach us and this Went on for a couple months. It was very, very special. We came a couple of times for Shabbos as a, as a whole group, as a, as a chevra, as a group of friends, and continued to connect. And then Corona hit, and there was closings. wasn't uh, so easy to get here, especially with Yeshiva locking down and whatnot. Uh, I'd like to admit, because it's funny, that despite the lockdowns, I snuck out every single Shabbos to make it over here. I would put all my stuff in a guitar case, so that if anyone asked, I would say that I was going to go to the park to jam. Uh, but the whole guitar case was obviously packed with all my Shabbos clothes and books. Funny point, considering we're speaking about MS. A little, little shaker there. Well, <laughs> no, one asked, no, no. No one asked, so I didn't have to. There, was, there, was, there wasn't a, I didn't have to say it, so. Totally. Yes. I think that could still be an MS thing, even in that context. But that's totally besides the point. Sure, I hear that. I definitely hear that. So I made, made point to continue making my way over and continue to connect. And it was so clear to me coming here Shabbos to Shabbos that Hashem led me all the way through my life to, to come here. I understood that emotionally, maybe I could say energetically, experientially, intuitively. There's just so many aspects of my experience of coming and listening that it was clear to me that I had to... Come and live here, ideally. Can you just tell us about the inner part of that? What's that like to have that feeling, if you can describe it at all? It's akin to an aha moment. You're sitting there and you kind of get a download of your whole life up until that moment. And the the awe of seeing Hashem play His cards throughout one's life to lead them to the moment of sitting and listening to the individual who one desires to to follow and to learn from and to grow from. Uh, it's hard to describe outside of that, other than this big light, this big concentrated emotion and pleasure of this, this awe and this happiness of realizing my truth of this is my place. Hope and that just, answers your question. That that does. So the path for truth that a lot of people talk about is very individual in a sense. And I'm not saying it wasn't individual for you, but the clarity, the moment of clarity was by seeing somebody else. So in a way, uh, Rav Gottlieb represented and through his lineage and the lineage of all the people that Rav Yehudash like was molded by um, is Sa'ane to stand up to your neighbor aid MS to be an, an aid of truth, to be a witness. Um, uh, you witnessing an aid, this word of aid is so powerful because it's something that you you have to, when in, in Jewish law, to be a witness, you have to be there. 
You have to be there and see something with your own eyes and experience it. We were Adim at, Har- at Mount Sinai, Harsinai. And th- there's an element of witnessing, especially with the Aseris Adibros. It's, it's implanted in our souls, the revelation. It's, it's when Moshe's speaking in Deuteronomy and telling everybody about what their family experienced 40 years before. It says, you are here today. Po hayom, to this day, you are still here witnessing this. There's, when you witness something, it, you are da- it's a download. They were able to, 40 years later on the repetition of Moshe, be able to get the, a remnant of that light. And for you, being an aid MS, to be, to be a witness of truth came by Re'echa, a neighbor, somebody's face, somebody's presence. And it obviously started far before. There's a mixture of the, the Rav Gottlieb and Rav Gottlieb's story and the Ashlagian story with your own family story, um, something there, something sort of witnessing happening that uh, led, has led you on the path. So I just wanted to, to, to point that out a little bit. Very nice. I think to your point, what comes to mind, please correct me if I'm wrong as far as the Hebrew is concerned, but Aid are the same letters as Ad, Ade Ad. So there's a notion of within the witnessing itself that is for all time. It is, it is for a foreverness. It is an eternity. The same way that we were witnesses at Matan Torah, which is for to be to be for all time, for us to continue to be witnesses day in, day out, as we accept the Torah upon ourselves every day. And so too in this uh in, in the global endeavor of witnessing truth, to your point, all of us at our own levels and our own experiences, and to hopefully come to that recognition of that truth and that witnessing that this is my road to eternity, so to speak. Wow. Yes. And uh, I want you to continue your, your journey with us here. Um, and the sure. only, the only pause that, I, that, that, I'll, that I'll say about that is it's people that are listening. Um, there's, there's, you know, spiritual journeys that people go on, but most people that, uh, just that become teachers, I think that become teachers have, they find their teacher. They, they, there's a there's a direct relationship there. There's a li- there's a lineage. There's a masora. There's a tradition. It says in our you know in our in our Pirkei Avos to Aselacharav to find a teacher, um, and it's it's something else. It's something else to be able to fa- to witness that. And so in the moment of seeing that teacher in that moment at that time in that place for you, that person became an aid ms a witness of of truth of your truth. Um, so let's keep going because you look you look like a student of Rav Gottlieb as well. <laughs> so thank you. Appreciate that. Where do we leave off? Your feeling of 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 just knowing yes. I need I needed to be here. No, I needed to be in I this place. So I I made that uh, a point to to meditate on that as I continued in my learning with Abraham, as I continued in my own learning in my free time to to acknowledge that this receiving of Masora of tradition that I in the midst of my learning is to equate and I was learning also with the intention to aspire to refine to aspire to be better and that's something that Baal Salaam teaches is that ideally all of our tournaments should be done with even a simple attention to have more imuna, more faith to have refinement by means of the tournaments but we want to have a spiritual transformation and part of that transformation was acknowledging that my best transformation can come by means of the best environment. Because Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag, the first son and successor to the Bala Sulam, said that in essence, the, a person's free will can be concentrated in his environment. And that a person should ideally choose a better environment again and again, as man is like a tree in the field. And so he should plant himself in the greatest soil with the greatest rain and the greatest sunlight, so on and so forth. So it was clear to me in those moments and as I continue to learn with Abraham and the like, that I wanted to plant myself in this community in order to bloom as best as I could. With that said, how to relay that to a potential future wife? <laughs> we so need to hear every this. Girl, this, is, this is powerful. Yes, every, every, every girl that I went out with, and it wasn't many, it was literally, literally a handful. And it was just from friend recommendation here or there. Maybe this is relevant to you. And none of them lasted so long, maybe one day, three dates. But I made sure that on the first date that I spoke that truth, that this is what I want to do. This is the community I want to be in. This is the rabbi I want to have. And that, that was such a foundational thing for me to, 
ex- explain what I am passionate about and what I'd like to do. And a lot of what I wanted to do then is what I'm doing now, Ruch Hashem, in that I wanted to become a teacher of the inner dimensions of the Torah. And I wanted to help in the mission to spread these sweet, beautiful teachings. And the best way to have done that is to be here. So I want to explain that to those potential wives. So the second to last, before before I met my wife, uh, was recommended by someone in my yeshiva. And so because he had recommended her, and she was in the pool of the yeshiva matchmaker, the Shadchan, I had met with him officially. As opposed to resumes, he writes his own little note card. He, he makes his own resume of the person. Very nice, his little note card box with everyone in there. And so with, with his blessing, I went out with this girl. One day, that's it. But because I was already in the system, he already made my note card. He said, listen, you don't have like a really strong green light. You know, you're like the go-to from your rabbis. I was under the impression that if something potentially nice came along, I should try it out. I can learn about myself and learn about what I'm looking for through those dates. So I said, fine, let's continue. And the first idea that he had for me, because that girl I just got out with was some other random guy's idea who just was a peer of mine that knew me a little bit here and there. The first idea he had ended up being my wife. And when I met her, same thing. I let her know I want to be an Ashlag Chassid. I want to live in this community. I want to learn from this rabbi. Which is, by the way, not common in Or Sameach. So this is not a <laughs> Or Sameach. Ah, people sure. that know. It's, just, it's a yeshiva for, for, for men's learning. Um, most people are not uh, saying things like that. So it's very random. I think it's very random in a sense. Yes, for sure. And I, and I think an important note was knowing the dynamics of the yeshiva and that being so rare there, given the, the different school of thought in the yeshiva, I did not say that explicitly to the matchmaker. I said I was interested in chassidut and I liked the inner dimensions and I learned some of it in my free time, but I did not make it explicit as far as where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do exactly. But I made that explicit, of course, in the day. So thankfully my to be wife at the time uh, was very patient and heard it all. And after the first date, she went to her Rosh Midrashah, the, the dean of her school. And she asked this rabbi, Listen, I want this out with this guy. He's really nice. But he told me about this whole Ashlag thing, Kabbalah. Is he in a cult? Like, what's going on here? Funnily enough, humorously enough, on his table is one of the foundational works of the Bal Hasulam of Rabbi Hudalev Ashlag, called Matan Torah. And he had, at that time, had a learning partner in that book. And that same learning partner actually did the English translation, which is what I taught from uh, when I first got here to the community. It's called Giving, the Essential Teachings of the Kabbalah, translated by Arya Siegel. Amazing work. So he got the, she, she got the thumbs up from him. He said, listen, it's good stuff. It's boots on the ground. It's practical. It's authentic. There's nothing to worry about. It's it's a good derech. It's a good path. So getting that blessing, <laughs> just to see how that came full circle, she obviously came back and we continued. That's to... crazy, by the way. It's very crazy. I mean, just for context, this is not popular. Rav Ashlag should be more popular, and we're going to get into why popular is not the right word, but... This, sure. this is not a normal like this book is not a best-selling mainstream Jewish book. This is there's a very small community of of devoted Jews who are disseminating the teachings of of Rav Ashlag and and this book is uh, uh yeah it's one of the the books but it's it's not it's not a yeah it would make sense that that book's on the desk. It's not a normal thing, not a normal thing at all. For sure not. So, wow. I, I, so I that must have been for her. What was that for her? Has she said that that was that? Can you just maybe from her side of the story? Because she has her own story to MS there. What was it like for her? Maybe she's told you to see that book because you found out. So she told you to see that book on the rabbi's desk. Does she have a what was that like for her? To be fair, I'm not 100 percent if she had known of that particular book at that time of, of noticing. But I, I think he made it clear to her, said, you know, this is the book. Like I'm, lear- I'm learning up from that rabbi, so no worries there. Uh, 
other than her feeling at ease that I was not in a cult. I don't think there's so much to say as far as the revelation of like, wow, Ashla, <laughs> great. But I think after the fact now, uh, she could definitely see the Hashkacha Pratit, the divine providence of Hashem's hand in us coming together and how totally improbable and amazing that whole episode was of getting the stamp of approval from her dean and then for us to continue the simcha with joy in our dating and eventually get married. Rav Gottlieb being our Masada Kedushin, he was the person that married us. And that's another story in itself. As far as I moved to Telstone a month before we got married, her recommendation, she said you should move in early, get acquainted with the community, learn as much as you can while you're there, be with the Rebbe, and then I'll you know, move into your home, so to speak, and I'll make the house into a home. And that's what I did. Now, another just amazing story to see uh, Hashem's hand. So we we're already engaged and needing to find a place to live in Telstone, which is not so easy. As being a suburb of Jerusalem, it's it's not not so cheap, to say the least, and it's well sought out because it's quiet, it's nice, it's in the mountains of Jerusalem. So in the midst of both of our prayers and hoping that we can find the most ideal place, she comes across something through a Telstone group chat that she had connected to for an opening. I checked the address of this opening, and it was, I kid you not, a one-minute walk from the Beit Midrash. The Beit Midrash is three Avinadav, and this place was nine Avinadav. If I was to step outside the door and sprint to the base Midrash, it would probably be 10 seconds, 15 seconds max, maybe. So it was clear to me, I didn't even see the inside of the place and me coming from being in yeshiva for two years, living extremely minimalist. I didn't care what was in there or how big it was. I just said, location, location, location. Like, what, what better thing could we ask for than to be so, so close? And it turned out being a very nice place and was uh, on the roof of the home. It was uh, like a built-on addition to this house. Beautiful view, seeing Jerusalem in the distance. And the the greatest part of the story, other than the fact that I moved in Erev Rosh Hashanah, and I was able to be there for the services and the learning on Rosh Hashanah with the community. But right after I moved out, my old program in Yeshiva was quarantined for Corona. And in short... Had I not moved out when I did, I would not have been able to make it to my own wedding. I would have been stuck in quarantine in the yeshiva. I was just this one guy that randomly on the days like, hey, I got a place. I'm getting married soon and just got, grabbed all my stuff and left and said bye to everyone. It's kind of offhandedly like that because such an amazing opportunity. She saw the place Tuesday. I saw the place Wednesday. Moved in Thursday type of thing. So it was very shtetl-like to, to get married and then have to walk one minute to our new home. You know, everything being so, so close was beautiful. And I've been here in the basement rush full-time since. I've been in Kolel. I'm, so I'm, I'm an average. I'm, I'm essentially learning full-time. And like, I'm not sure if I had mentioned, but I, I'm like a pseudo shamish. I'm a servant to Rav Gottlieb and drive him on occasion. I help with social media. I start and end the live streams on the YouTube. And I have some other projects on the side, one of them being a recent project, just coming onto social media again after this very long hiatus and starting to give over some nice shorts, uh, some Torah infused with the inner dimensions of Torah, primarily bringing from the Balasulam and the like. And hopefully also some translations at some point will also come into fruition as we could use some more English translations from this amazing Torah. It's wow. It's it's really a wow. We're going to learn a little bit about the Torah of Rav Ashlag. But the part that you mentioned, that I just want to highlight for people listening, because I'm, you know, could be a diverse group of people listening. This, this concept of free will and environment, choosing to put yourself in the place, you, you basically moved, you're a minute away, and, and, and not in an uh, invasive way, but if you're a minute away, from your Rebbe and your Rebbe represents truth and represents authenticity and spirituality and being your best self. 
you've moved a minute away. That means that everywhere you go, you are trying to live in this reality of truth because that's the world that you have chosen to live in. And so there's like this reinforcing system where it's not just what you're doing internally, what you're doing in your home, your home, your, the Beit Midrash, everything is just reinforcing your life's mission and your life's paths. And it probably amplifies the speed by which you are growing. Um, so you could have been doing things on this journey in another place and it maybe would have taken you, you basically sped up time by moving into this portal of this place yeah. in this time. It's, 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 it's very, very, very incredible to hear. Another thing that just strikes me, which is so important is, is the respect that you have and the love that you have for your teacher and mentor. And you talk about servant being a Shamash and, and we learn um, many different places. I, I wish I had them offhand that, um, that the Torah you learn, I think it's in, even in, in, in the Gemara and the Mishnah, we're learning, we can learn about Torah from watching. I mean, the, the example is given about what you can learn. You can learn from your, your, your Rebbe Torah um, by the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they relate to their partner, their spouse. Every dimension is a learning period. Rabbi Sachs, that's all one of the most inspiring people I've ever learned about in the whole world. Um, he says that there are, um, Torah you learn from books. There's a, there's another one that I'm missing, and then there's people Torah. Torah you learn from people, and uh, so you're just in an environment and in a world where Torah is everywhere, all the time, and the Torah that you, is uniquely tailored to your soul. So I think that's just so incredible. Um, it's so incredible. And can you tell us just a little bit about the Ashlagi and Kabbalah? Um, and in particular, I want to learn about these two forces within us. I know this is an oversimplification of deep wisdom, but when I hear inner Torah. I don't think it's very inner Torah. I think it's very Torah. I think it's very, it can be as deep as you want it to be, but it could also be the most practical right. life philosophy ever. And two main words that come to mind for me is le kabel and le hashpia. So can you, can you just talk to us a little bit about the essential Ashlag Kabbalah? Absolutely. Rav Ashlag, Rabbi Yehuda Leib Ashlag Zetzal, Bala Sulam, his magnum opus and what he is named after is his commentary on the Zohar, called the Sulam, the latter. Not only did he translate the 21 volumes of the Zohar into modern Hebrew, but he also added on many illuminations of the coded language that is the Zohar as to which words mean which functions in the Kabbalah itself, and also illuminated by means of essays within the Zohar, his commentary within on what's going on there in a more simplified, not to mean that it's simple, but in a more simplified fashion. And much of it, when one gains the, the legend, the tools of Kabbalah by means of Ashla Kabbalah, then they can see themselves in the Zohar or Tanakh in general. And that's one of the main principles of Ashlag Torah. It's called Torah Derishu Tayachid. It's the revolutionary philosophy that the entire Torah and even the words of our sages, Devere Chazal, is speaking about literally you and I, us. It's a spiritual roadmap at its deepest core. And that's why, to your point, it's the most practical. It's literally just giving you uh, a map on how to go about one's betterment of self. And that betterment of self can be summarized as going from likabel of a mode of consciousness of just receiving from oneself alone, which can be described as our egoism, and inching towards a more refined state, which is lashpia, to give, to bestow, which is altruism. Those are the qualities of the righteous, to be all-giving and to love unconditionally and the like. That's what we're aiming towards because... That is the quality of the creator, only goodness. And so too, for us to have a relationship and that connection, the Balasalam clarifies that all of the Torah is in order to get us into a similarity of form. We're to be like the Most High. She says is the secret for the name Adam. Adam comes from, he says, the, the, so the secret of the name Adam is from a Pasuk, a verse in Isaiah, Yishiyahu Navi, Edamele Elyon. 
I will be like the Most High. But the notion is that a man likeness, humanity, is to be like the Most High in character quality. And that's what so much of Kabbalah is centered around, is this transformation of consciousness. On top of the Zohar, there's also his other magnum opus, arguably, called the Talmud Esher Sfirot, which is a grand Jewish commentary on all of the Arizals by the pen of Rabbi Chaim Vital, his star pupil, the Eit Chaim, the Tree of Life, which is the center book of the Kabbalah that is learned today. All the Kabbalistic systems we have today is essentially drawn from what we call Lurianic Kabbalah, whether it's Rashash, Ramchal, the Vilna Goan, the Baal Shem Tov. So I've heard from my Rebbe that the Balasulam is a wonderful fusion of the Arizal and the way of the Baal Shem Tov, the way of this principal Kabbalah and the way of Hasidus, which in itself attempts to bring Kabbalah down to the average person and make it practical in one's self-development and psychology. So aside from these two magnum opi, there's many other introductory works, and also philosophical, hashkafic works like Matan Torah that he had referenced, some of which the introductions have had translations now in English through our friends and peers, and many, many essays on Avodah Hashem, on our inner work, on serving the Creator, all of which for the most part expound on what certain things mean. What is far? What does the Pharaoh mean inside me? What does Abraham mean inside me? What does a camel mean? All these words and their Hebrew roots and how they literally are speaking about the inner processes of our being. So our mission statement and so much of our mission is to illuminate this sweet understanding of the Torah being about us and the importance of balancing our diets and having both the outer and the inner aspects. And to your point, it's all just one Torah. And it's all just the means to slowly but surely refine ourselves to be able to come closer to Hashem. And I think what's so, when I get into essential Ashleg, and that's why I think it's grabbed by the masses as well, is that whatever you're learning, whatever type of Torah that you're engaged in, whatever community you're living in, the core of the work is to become more giving, loving, and deeper towards others. And and that, you know, and of course there's a religious dimension to that because it's becoming, as as we mentioned, like God. It's this weird paradox, and you and you you don't want to do this selfishly. And I know there's there's many dimensions of giving and receiving, and it, it's a whole world that we're not going to get into in this conversation. But essentially, learning to give and learning to be focused on the other is going. To, when we talk about affinity of form, it is a form of mm-hmm. ecstatic mystical connection the deeper the people that you meet holy people from across different traditions too people that that encounter immense love for the other it, there's something about it that shines a face uh, of god's light those people by giving are actually experiencing the light of hashem and i know that yes. that's because god's true desire in this world is to give is to give and part of what he wants to give is himself and the way that we can connect to hashem is by learning to draw down his light, which is the giving light. It's very, but on, a, on such an essential level, when I learn Rav Ashlag, and I'm sure when you, you just realize how, not in a bad way, not in a I'm terrible way, but just how selfish you are and how self-serving we all are. And it's so sobering to learn that this is a lifetime of work that you can really truly grow and be deeper, sweeter, kinder, more loving. And in the path, of course, we have so many mitzvot to learn. We can learn Torah as well. And the other part that I, that I think is so fascinating in Rav Ashlag is this idea of Amuna, and we get into Amuna, faith in God, but also faith that that's the path. Faith that the Torah, the path of Torah comes down to this transformation that uh, you're mm-hmm. speaking of. And uh, it's just, it's such a central path. And I think people can relate to it across all levels of the world as they want to be a better person. And it's and, and this is there's a pathway about how to do that that's so powerful in Rav Ashlag. Yes, wonderfully said. In a way, you could say it's hyper-focused on that. 
we can go as far as to say that's what all of the Torah is really speaking about at all times. And all levels of Torah interpretation are wonderful and beautiful and necessary. But to conjoin that inner understanding of how it's speaking about our inner reality and to be sobered by the awareness of our egoism. Again, not in a bad way, it's just our nature. And it's, it's, it's a freeing and elevating thing to connect to that truth and that we are a composite of soul and body. The body in general, Kabbalistically, is a term that describes our egoism, our selfishness in general. The goof is this composite vessel of receiving as we can receive through all of our senses. And there's so much to say about revealing the truth of the nooks and crannies within our being, of the chametz, so to speak. Like we search for Pesach, for the chametz, Erev Pesach, so too the light within the Torah that we learn is in essence that light that we can see and get the revelation, get the download, so to speak, of those little pieces of ego within our inner being. And the Balsam has a beautiful story where he was walking with one of his students, and as one of his students illuminated to him a revelation of his own egoism that he had with great pain. He said, oh, I realized this, that, and the other about myself, and he was feeling down. And the Balsam said, no, you should be dancing with joy, because any time we notice the truth of that selfishness, that's a salvation itself. He said, it's like turning the bones into dust that just the awareness is already a tikkun, it's already a correction of the soul, and then from there we can continue to grow. And the, the sobering and elevating idea that that awareness, even though it can be painful in the moment, we have the freedom, and the essays illuminate this to a great degree, the balance between the three lines, which is what the Zohar illuminates often, right, left, and middle. And I'll, I won't get so deep into it now unless... There's time just to give a brief overview, but I just want to make the point that when we notice these truths about ourselves, when we see the selfishness within, there is an opportunity to have great joy because that is not necessarily an awareness of self that so many people are aware of and so many people have been revealed. And because of that, there is this aid MS, there's this notion of the truth within. And it's also balanced with, even though I'm noticing the selfishness within, I'm also witnessing and acknowledging with Imuna, with faith, that I'm simultaneously this infinitely amazing, perfect soul. And there's always this teeter-totter that we have in, in our inner work in Judaism. But yes, I just always want to clarify your, your, your sobering comment of, of the beauty, because it, it should be a sweet and, and sobering thing to go through that inner work. But by nature, we tend to want to run from it because it's, it's hard and it's bitter to, to see those truths of our selfishness. But it's most necessary. There's no other way. It's a necessary part of the process to go up and up and up is to see that inner truth of what we have to fix. So the ninth debate, looking at it on a deep inner level then, yes, it's about the neighbor. We've talked about how the people in our lives can illuminate truth, sincerity, authenticity. But also when you have that realization for yourself, that that's speaking to you, you are the re'echa, you are, you are the neighbor, you are, that's, that is a, a part of you. And when you see that it's, it's, it's not about, you know, self berating and because you're also this incredible spark of, of the divine and, and we're balancing that all the time. And um, I just want you to actually briefly explain before I, I want to have a, a couple concluding thoughts on the D-Bear, just about the three you mentioned you wanted to briefly, like maybe give us a little overview about that. Sure, absolutely. So the Zohar constantly illuminates the dynamics of these three lines in our inner work. And much of the essays expand on it. The essays of the, both the Balasulam and uh, the Rebbe Zitzal, we call Rebbe Baruch Shalom Ashlag, his first and successor, as well as Rebbe Gottlieb. The right line is where we should be the majority of our day. It is acknowledging the truth that we are a product of a perfect craftsman. And due to being a product of a perfect craftsman, we are, in essence, also perfect and infinite. The Baal goes as far as to say in the introduction to the Zohar, letter five, in the fifth, fifth paragraph, that we are so important that we are 
we have importance without limit. Ain Kates, he says. And this consciousness in itself is a job. It's a work. It's tough to actually connect and feel that and integrate that and be with that. But that's the ideal of the majority of our day. No less than 23 and a half hours of our day should be feeling complete and happy and elevated. Now, at the end of our day, ideally, or when is best for a person to make their self-accounting and self-reflection, but the, the, cheshbon, declared, the calculation, the cheshbon, the, the, cheshbon and nefesh, the calculation of the soul, essentially to reflect on one's day and say, was I really giving there? How was my prayer? Was I really learning with some intention to improve myself? Or was it, I was just trying to get my mitzvah points because I want a nice olam haba. Whatever the case is, just to check in. And that's called the left line. The time of self-criticism, the time of seeing the truth of what needs to be corrected in contrast to the truth of our innermost essence being perfect, which is the right line. Two types of truth. Yes. Now, there is to clarify that that first truth of being perfect relative to the fact that we still have work to do can be described as, in a way, a false truth. That we need emuna, we need faith in ourselves and our innermost being to feel that and experience that. Like, I'm perfect. Well, I'm experiencing pain, I'm experiencing trouble, and I'm going through this, that, and the other in life, but it's all good. And the Creator is only goodness. And everything's just perfect. That's the work of Amunah. It's above the ego, it's above our logic and reason, but that's the superpower of the Jewish people, is to be able to employ that type of consciousness. And only if a person succeeds in spending the majority of their day in this positive consciousness of the right line, then they are able to go on the left line. If someone didn't have a good day, they should not beat themselves up and go into the left and criticize themselves. The Balsam says it's forbidden because one can fall into lower thought patterns and frequencies of depression, anxiety, and the like, all of which we do not want to fall into the vortex of. Rather, stick to the right as best as we can. If we do have a good right day and we want to go to that left, maximum 30 minutes a day, and that's for masters. For most of us, it could be a couple minutes of the day. It could be in the midst of the prayer service itself to self-reflect. From there, of seeing that inner truth of what needs to be corrected, of noticing the selfishness and the ego, that's when we can go back to the right from the left and acknowledge and be happy that we see the truth. The Creator revealed within our consciousness the capacity to see those pieces of egoism within that need to be corrected. And ideally, as difficult as it may be, we should be dancing with joy because that is not a revelation that so many people come to. It's actually very rare, relatively speaking. So that is called a true right line. That is called like the, the simcha, the happiness of seeing that inner truth of what needs to be fixed. And the balance of these two lines of going right, left, and then right again, by definition, is called the middle line. And that is the line of the Jewish people in contrast to Ishmael, let's say, Arab Muslim nations, which is described as the right line, Christian Esau nations described as left line, but Yaakov, Avinu, the Jewish people, Israel, is in the middle. We balance the the, Ferris, exactly. The, the, the beauty of the middle. Wow. And just thinking about it from, you know, the tree of the Yitzchayim standpoint, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, thank you for sharing a little bit of, yeah. of an avalanche. There's, there's, there's so many nuances and there's there's levels a, and levels. Left and that's and right okay. Right you, you can't possibly get to it all. Um, and, but, but it is, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible path. It's an incredible learning that I think all of Klal Yisrael, all of the Jewish people and the world by extension, it's the light of Torah. That's the, it's really the light of Torah. It's the light of Torah, which is the light of Hashem. Um, we're all sparks of God. We have a, a dimension of us. I mean, being that we're, as you mentioned, Adam, Aleph, which is the part, you know, connection to the, the highest, highest Hashem, but also blood. We're also humans. And so we only have that one little spark of divinity and we have, we're, we're bodies imperfect in those senses. And, uh, and we try to balance being such a high creation with being blood. Um, and one of them is through this debear, 
that uh, that we're talking about that I think is in many ways an encapsulation of your life, and I'll just say it a, a reason why I think more so. So losa'ane veri'acha eid shakir. The word is, that's being translated that I'm seeing here is answer. It's answer, like la'anot to answer. Don't answer falsely to to the people in your life. Be be a, a a guideline of a light of truth. But and that seems like a bit more serious and a bit more intense. Like really be truth to someone. But the word ta'ane, uh, when you look up the the dictionary, you actually look up the the Jastro Klein dictionary. The, the the dictionaries that translate, where are these words? Because we learn about words through the context of when they're written in other places. So, for example, in this week's Parsha, after the singing of the sea, the Jewish people are redeemed, they cross the sea. Miriam says, Miriam leads a song. And one of the translations, just in the basic, most basic Hebrew dictionaries, is that the word ana is sing, is to sing. So, it's not uh, it's not like a you know a drastic translation it's literally one of the two translations of the word is lo sa'ane so, so we have this word sa'ane shakers don't don't sing in a way that's going to bring falseness that mm. uh, don't sing i mean you're a singer too and you, you get that but words are songs too and so we just have an opportunity through our presence to be somebody that can shine the light of truth and be in that honest way, the way that you talked about the left line. I think that friends, true friends, if you're on a friend journey, and I know that in the Bala Sulam's world, they talk about practicing these things with, with chavrusas, of course, your family, but with chavrusas, real truth chavrusas. How am I doing? What's going on? How can I be better? That you need to see. But most of the time, you need to be someone who sings, who sings truth uh, to people, to the Riecha. And I noticed from your channel, and that's what I want to end off is about your channel, is that you are singing. You, you're you're smiling. There's music playing. You're teaching the inner light of the Torah. You're talking about sometimes you know our selfishness, our our ego, our egoness, but you're singing this truth, and you have the smile there. And I think people are receiving that uh, in a, in a deep way. So can you just kind of reflect on part of what I just said there? and how it relates to what you're doing as being a teacher of Torah, because I know you're also becoming a rabbi and uh, maybe we can end off with that. I think that's a good kiss from Hashem and that the, the piece I did yesterday was about Shira. I gave a, a little piece about how Shira is the same numerical value as tefillah, prayer. And I spoke about the notion that in essence, our life is like a song. And then it has ups and downs, and they're all notes on a scale. And to the degree that we can infuse this emotion and yearning and ideally love and giving into these notes of our life, so too we'll be able to infuse and live a life of prayer, of yearning, of coming close to Hashem. Separate point that I didn't mention in that piece was that the Bala Sulam says, the answer to the prayer is the prayer itself. And that the ultimate goal, we can talk about sigulas, we can talk about people's intentions, but all, everything is just to connect us to our source. And that is the essence of prayer, just the fact that I'm praying and requesting, asking, singing praise, whatever it is, it's a connection. There's some type of communication, there's some type of deber with the one and only that created everything through speech and continues in every microsecond to sing creation into being. So it's an, an amazing opportunity to, to, to sing as well and to be a, a co-creator and make some type of content by his hand and for him providing the strength to do so. Uh, and it's, it's very humbling and I feel very blessed to be able to share and I for sure see a lot of and get some very immediate responses of individuals feeling very touched and very connected to uh, what there is to be said and hopefully can continue to grow for all of us to, to connect to these lights in order to grow. You are being a witness and that's I think the maybe the inner light of the internet and these platforms is your your face people are witnessing you and they're being hopefully a witness towards singing the Anna. Um, but mostly towards truth. Um, 
and truth is, you know, we, we're not truth is, you know, Aleph Mem Taf, you know, all the way. It's all truth is not about like all this. I'm I'm right or this is this, it's this fact. It's a it's a sincerity. It's a it's a it's a depth of being real. I think I think real being real is really what I think about truth, and I think that uh, the pathway that you're taking um, is really encompassing that for a lot of people and uh, I really really hope that the, the world gets to learn more about Rav Gottlieb and the Torah the power of the Torah of the Bala Sulam um, through the efforts the small efforts that, that that you're making which could be could be grand and and thank you so so much for reflecting on your life through this year. my great pleasure and that's all for today thanks for taking the time to listen and we hope this episode has in some small way enriched your understanding of yourself, others, and God as you learn to integrate the Big Ten into your life. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening.